comes to preach this morning. We're going to read two passages this morning before we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where we'll be reflecting uh, this morning. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 19 and verses 1 to 9. So in the church Bibles, that's page 986. So page 986, Matthew chapter 19 and verses 1 to 9, first of all. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And the second reading then is from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And that's on page 1148. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say this. It is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. 
For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her, her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. Before we, we get into this this morning, uh, this week, uh, looking at the first section in 1 Corinthians 7, we're thinking mostly about marriage, and next week, mostly about singleness. Um, can I encourage you, whatever situation you are, are in at the moment, to encourage you to engage with both? We need to listen to both. If uh, we're not married... Uh, we might be married one day. If we're married, we might be single one day. In fact, 50% of us will be. As we engage with this stuff, it's really important for us to realize that uh, we're supposed to support each other in our different situations, and we need to understand each other's situations. So it's good for us to listen. And actually, as we do, we'll hear about the ups and downs of both situations. And we'll realize that actually maybe our view isn't quite as clear as we think it is of the other one. And it'll help us in our contentment. And I think finally, I just want to say that both of these um, sermons will help us to see how to relate ultimately to God. And actually how each of those situations help us to better understand how we should love God. So can I encourage you, however you're feeling about the fact that we are approaching these two uh, areas, to do so with a heart and a hunger to learn. A couple of other things I want to say before I pray and we get into the passage. 
we're not going to see a comprehensive theology of marriage this week or even necessarily of singleness next week. Especially this week, what we'll see is it's addressing particular issues in the Corinthian church. Um, and I also want to say that I, I know some of your situations, but there will be others who I, I really know nothing about what you're going through. And I, I want to ask for your forgiveness up front if I am insensitive or uh, if what uh, you hear here is just not what you need to hear at this moment in time. We recognize that, that for some of us, these topics are an area of real pain, real heartache, maybe real guilt and shame. And we're going to need the Lord Jesus' help as we come to this area. One final thing. If you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, you need to know that following God's way in this area is not going to make you a Christian. That it's only trusting in Jesus and his forgiveness that makes us a Christian. And actually what we're thinking about is if you have done that, what does it look like to live God's way? Let me pray for God's help as we come to his word. Let me pray. Almighty God, we come before you, we confess that in our lives so often we think we know better than your good ways. We know that in your kindness you sent the Lord Jesus to forgive us for that. And you've given us your word that we might better understand who we are, who you are, how we should live. And as we come to these sensitive areas this morning, would you help us to hear your voice? Would you help us to see that your way is the best way? And would you give us capacity, grace, the power of your spirit that we might walk in your ways? To the glory of Jesus' name, amen. The grass is greener. You familiar with that phrase? If we were in Spain, apparently it would be, my neighbor's hen is fatter than my hen. Um, or in China, now William and Wanzi, you'll have to tell me if this is right afterwards, but uh, it's next door's rice smells good. Do, do you know that kind of picture, that, that saying, what it's about? It's, it's the idea that um, here I am standing in my field and there's a fence and I can see my neighbor's field. And well, the grass is greener. In other words, we think that other people's situation is better than ours. And so it makes us discontent. And we think, oh, I want to be in their situation. I wonder, have you ever experienced the grass is greener in your relationship status? Maybe you wish you were dating. You wish you were married. Maybe you're married and you wish you weren't. Or you wish you were married to somebody else. Now, maybe we wouldn't admit it, but there's times when we look over the fence and we think the grass is greener. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're in this section from chapters 5 to 7 about sex and relationships. And actually, we enter a new section in the letter because Paul stops responding to things that he's heard and now starts responding to stuff the Corinthians have written to him. And some of the Corinthians are thinking about a change. Maybe they think the grass is greener. 
it is possible that actually they're thinking it would be more spiritual for them to make a change. And so they ask Paul, what does he think? And we're going to see the big answer from Paul in this section is stay. Stay as you are. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. Now for the matters we wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Sorry, now the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. As we come to verse 1, we have similar to what we had in verses 12 and 13 last week. Do you remember? In Who is saying this? Is this what the Corinthians think? Is this what Paul says? But actually, even more important than that, we need to see that actually this isn't about getting married. It's actually about sex. Um, after last week's sermon, I thought, phew, done with this topic. We're going to move on to marriage generally this week. As I started to work on the text, I realized that wasn't the case. Verse 1 is literally, it is or is it good for a man not to touch a, wound, a woman? Now, everybody in Corinth knew that touch didn't really mean touch. In the same way that if I asked you or someone asked you, um, did you sleep with him or her? They're not asking, did the two of you lie nicely and quietly and have a long snooze all the way through the night? Actually, the NIV footnote is really helpful here. Do you see the footnote there, A1? Or, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is what they're asking about. This is what the issue is. Whatever the Corinthians wrote, Paul's response is very clear. Here's the first thing we're going to see. To the Christian couple who are married already, stay having sex. Verse 2. But since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now, this might sound like, oh, sort of getting married is the answer to sexual immorality. You know, maybe we're a bit weak-willed, we're not spiritual enough. The way to deal with struggling with our uh, desires is to go and find the first person we can and get married. I remember chatting to a man a number of years back who admitted he got married for this reason. Really to the first Christian girl that he could. And a few years into marriage, they were really struggling. And it's no surprise. Because sex isn't the main reason to get married. If we think that, we've not understood marriage at all. And actually, we've not understood what verse 2 is about. Because this is an instruction for those who are already married. Literally, Verse 2 is, each man should go on having his own wife, and each woman should go on having her own husband. Paul's saying if you're married already, the way to avoid sexual immorality is to keep having sex. It's a vital part of a healthy marriage. Why? Well, verse 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. That, that word duty 
is also could be translated just debt. The husband owes his wife, and the wife owes it to her husband. Um, just for a moment, notice the, the sexual and gender equality here. This isn't something that's been thought up recently. This is commanded by God in the very beginning. Um, but you're looking at this, you might think, this doesn't sound very romantic. This isn't uh, sort of one of those wonderful rom-com pictures. Actually, it's about a deeper love than that. Because of what marriage is. Look at verse 4. The wife's body doesn't belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body doesn't belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do you remember what we heard last week? Or actually what we had in, read in Matthew 19, God's divine maths. One plus one equals one. In marriage, one male plus one female equals one flesh. And do you remember that marriage is about the mutual giving of self to the other for life? It is a deep, other-centered love. And sex is to join one another at that deepest level, to help with that joining. And both are a picture, actually, of Jesus' relationship, his intimate, deep, loving relationship with his people. And actually only that relationship with Jesus. It's only that relationship that truly satisfies. This means in marriage, if you are married, your body is no longer your own. And so marriage isn't about what I can get, but much more about what I can give. Sex is not about what I can get. It's about my body is for you, to serve you for your pleasure. Now, we need to be really careful as we come to these verses because this does not mean that one partner can go to another and say, your body belongs to me, you must do what I want at every occasion. No, it does not mean we can demand lovemaking. Um, or it's not the case that the other can never say no. And actually, there's no excuse for abuse. These verses are not permitting that. And if you're in a situation, in a relationship where there is abuse, then seek help. Get, help. Get out. It may be for you that actually it isn't at all right for you to stay. But the command here is to the married couple. And it's to stay having sex. And so can I ask you, if you are married, are you doing that? Now, maybe you're not married, or you're young, or you're newly, newly married. Maybe if you're not married or you're young, you're thinking this is all very uncomfortable. Um, if you're new, newly married, you're thinking this is the oddest advice. Why would anyone need to be told to? Surely they'd want to. We need to know the reality. The reality of marriage. Well... You get tired, and the children come along, and then there's work to do and bills to pay, and you've you got to go to Little to do the shopping, and Ikea, and you get older. And so there's hair loss in places where there should be hair, and there's hair growth in places where there shouldn't. And, and you know, the six-pack, it turns into a keg, and really... Sex just 
becomes harder to keep on the top, up towards the top of the list. And for some, they might even give spiritual excuses. I'm just, I'm so busy with my responsibilities at church. Verse 5, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Actually, if we do prioritize spiritual things, it should be mutual consent. And it should be short for a time. Now, we need to recognize we do live in a fallen world. And sex doesn't always work. And so, you know, we know folk who, you know, one of them is just really ill. Or, or others where their past has meant that it really affects what goes on for them in the bedroom. Or actually for some where our bodies just don't work as they should. And that even has affected their sex life. These situations are very hard. Much grace is needed. But if there aren't legitimate reasons, and if we are married, if we're not making love, Well, then Paul says we're opening ourselves up to temptation. We're opening ourselves up to viewing that video or receiving that attention from that colleague at work and wondering if it might go further. What about everybody else? Many of us here not married today. We're going to hear even more about what this chapter says um, for, for folk in this situation next week, but have a look at verses 6 and 7. Paul says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish all men were as I am. In other words, single. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Here is the part that Paul's heart for the unmarried. He's talking to, to married folk, and as a single man, he, he turns to uh, those who aren't, and he says, no, 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 singleness is good too. In fact, I wish you knew what I knew. Now, he's not saying he's special. He's not saying he's super spiritual because he's single. No, he's saying marriage is good. Singleness is good. Both are gifts given by God. And so we shouldn't spend all our time thinking that the grass is greener. Now, that doesn't mean the gift will never change. But now, Paul, he turns, verse 8, to the next group he wants to speak to. And he turns to the Christian who is unmarried. And he says to them, stay godly. Look at verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Again, there's a bit of a question as to who Paul is talking to here. Really clearly, when we get to next week, verse 25, he is talking to those who have never been married. Now about virgins. That's his sort of term for that. 
But it's possible that here in verses 8 and 9, he's talking to those who are already married, who have, who have once been married, but their spouse has died. Because the word unmarried is a, is a masculine word, and the word widow is a feminine word. And it could be he's talking to widow, widowers and widows. But again, whatever, whoever exactly he's talking to, the advice is clear. He says it, it's good to stay unmarried. That's a good thing, but it could be better to get married, verse 9. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. How do you decide? How do you decide? Well, it's better to be godly than to burn with passion that leads to sexual immorality. Um, I I know a, a, a guy... Um, he's over in the UK. He's an older man. Um, earlier in his life, he had, he had three children. He still has three children. He had three smaller children at this point, and his wife died in a car crash. And it was absolutely harrowing. And yet, as time went on, he began to develop a relationship with uh, another single lady, godly. And that relationship grew, and one thing led to another, and no doubt, so did the desire. Good desires began to burn. What should he do? Should he stay unmarried? Well, no. This passage says get married. What matters is that we stay godly. In fact, this is the way to decide any of our questions about our relationships. What will make me more godly? What will make them more godly? Then, verses uh, 10 and following, Paul turns to the next group. And he says, to the Christian, considering divorce, stay married. Divorce lawyers, prenuptial agreements, custody battles, financial settlements. Normal terms in our culture today. Just part of modern life. And maybe for you, as we come to think about divorce, you know this only too well. You know the reality of a marriage gone wrong. The the hurt of that. Maybe for you. Maybe for your family. Maybe for, for your friends. What about a Christian couple? where one is thinking about divorce. What are we to do? Well, verse 10, Paul says, To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. In other words, this is uh, something that Jesus directly taught, as we saw in Matthew 19. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does... She must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. The headline is, stay married, no divorce. But, verse 11, Paul lives in the real world. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Why? If she does, well, stay unmarried. Even seek reconciliation. 
that marriage is supposed to be a lifelong commitment. It's why as people get married, they are encouraged not to enter it selfishly, lightly, or without serious thought and advice. But, but are there any exceptions? Is it okay for a Christian to be divorced and marry someone else? Well, I don't have time to go into all the detail on this. Um, and it's also probably worth me saying that, that people who love Jesus and love the Bible do come down in different places on this question. But I think um, there's a few exceptions where it is okay for the, the believer to divorce and, and remarry. They are adultery, abuse, and desertion. Adultery, well, we saw that in Matthew 19, that Jesus said, maybe not the best, but it is permitted if someone commits, if the other partner commits adultery. If there is serious abuse, well, it's breaking of the marriage covenant. Or if there is desertion, one partner has just gone. And no hope of coming back. We're going to see this in verse 15 and on when we get to there. But what about, verse 12, what about if there is a spiritual mismatch? Some things should never go together, okay? Let me help you with this. Eggs and ketchup. It's just wrong, okay? They should never go together. shouldn't be even on the same dinner table. Socks and sandals should never go together. Liverpool and their Premier League trophy never, should never go together, okay? Now, now okay, obviously I'm joking, except about Liverpool. Um, really, there are things that shouldn't go together. Alcohol and driving. Or, or small children and matches. The Bible it's really clear that in marriage, someone who loves Jesus shouldn't marry someone who doesn't love Jesus. It's very clear that Christians should marry Christians. Just read the Old Testament and see what happens when God's people marry with folk who aren't God's people. Or talk to those in the congregation in this setting and they will tell you how hard it is Talk to both partners, and they'll tell you how hard it is. That, that one, they want to go to the prayer meeting, or they want to go to evening church, or they want to give more money to mission, and, and the other wants them to stay in, wants their priorities to be something else. It is just really hard. Actually, Verse 39 in chapter 7, we're going to look at this next week. But a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. Now some here this morning have found themselves in this situation because, well, maybe you consciously disobeyed God in this area. Or, or it was a low point in your Christian life where you just weren't thinking properly. Others will be like the situation that I think Paul is addressing here, where in a married couple, one has become a Christian and the other hasn't. What is the Christian to do? Are they to bail out? 
Paul says, no, they are to stay. Look at verse 12. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. It's, it's not that he's saying this is less God's word. It's just there's no direct teaching from Jesus. To the rest, I say this, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman have a, has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Paul says you're to stay. You're to stay. Why is it okay to stay in a spiritual mismatch? Well, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. What? What on earth is this talking about? I mean, is this saying it is right to flirt to convert? That if you uh, are married, your husband and children are sort of saved by association with you? Well, clearly not. Have a look at verse 16. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Probably what is going on here is the Christian worrying about the fact that this deep joining to an unbeliever in marriage somehow makes them unclean before God. And what Paul is, or and the children, that the children that come from this joining are somehow will always be unclean. There's no hope of being saved. Actually, what verse 14 is saying is that God values marriage. Even if it is mixed. No matter how you got into it, he wants you to stay. And he still wants you to serve your spouse. That actually in a marriage that is a spiritual mismatch, in many ways, the Christian spouse should become a better and better partner to the other. It doesn't mean that it's all easy. No, it's very hard. And what if the unbelieving partner leaves? Well, verse 15. If the unbelieving partner leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Sadly, sometimes, someone who doesn't know Jesus, they desert. They leave the marriage. What should the Christian do? Should they fight? Should they take them to court? No, they should let them go. If there's no chance of them coming back, they are called to peace. They're not bound to stay married to that one that's gone. Now, maybe you're in a situation at the moment where you are considering divorce, where marriage just seems unbearable, and you just don't feel you can stay. Well, God can help you. We would love to help you. Speak to people. Ask for help. Because... God's word here is saying, his big answer to the question is, stay. But we find it so hard. Because we look over the fence and we think the grass is greener. Or we hear the world saying, well, if your situation doesn't really suit you, well, change. 
Or, or we think, oh, maybe God hasn't called me to this. We'll have a look at what God says. In 17, in 20, in 24, do you see the repetition? Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Or verse 20, each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Or verse 24, brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him. God knows our situation. In fact, he has assigned it to us. He has given it to us. We are to stay. Because it matters less, our situation, our circumstances. What matters more is what we do in those circumstances. And actually, what Paul does here, we don't really have time to look in detail, but he he goes for the two biggest divisions that were in the ancient world. So the Jew, the, the circumcised, and the Gentile, the uncircumcised, verses 18 and 19. And then he goes to the slave and the free, verses 21 and 22. And he says it, it matters less what you are. Now, now, he's not saying that slavery is okay. No, in verse 21, he says if you can be freed from slavery, do so. But he knows actually in that context, if a slave revolts, they're going to be killed. What he is doing is he is relativizing it. He says those circumstances matter less. What matters? Well, look at verse 19. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Obeying God is what counts. Being godly is what counts. Who ultimately are we to serve? Not man, not the world. Verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God has called him to. The the Corinthians think, we're so spiritual, we're so mature. Paul says, don't be worldly in your thinking. And actually, we need to hear that too. For us, don't be worldly in our thinking. The world wants to know what our relationship status is. It's one of the most important things. Are we married? Are we engaged? Are we divorced? Are we single? If we are believers in the Lord Jesus, our primary relationship is to God, to the Lord Jesus, the one we are loved by, forgiven by, bought by. It means for us, whatever we've heard today, there is no unforgivable sin. You know, are you divorced when you shouldn't be? Are you, did you decide to marry someone you shouldn't have married? Jesus has forgiven us, loved us, bought us, and all of us have failed in these areas. Jesus is the ultimate partner. The one who came here, he knew temptation, he knew circumstances that were so hard. And yet he didn't bail out. No, he knew what God wanted. And so he willingly honored God. He willingly served us. If we belong to Jesus today, we're called to honor him. 
honor him with our bodies. We are to stay godly in whatever situation we find ourselves in. That doesn't mean that there there can never be a change. No, he says, you're free to marry. We'll think more about this next week. The gift may change. It might be there's a better way to honor God. But we need to stop waiting until the grass is greener. But right now, in the situations God has assigned us to, to live for God, to stay. Let's pause, take a moment. Please do in the quiet of your hearts. Speak to God. Ask for his encouragement, his, his forgiveness, his help, whatever it is you might need. And I will lead us in prayer in a moment. Almighty God, we pray this morning that you would help us again to see that you are not against us but for us, that you have loved us in Jesus, that we were bought by him, by his blood, and that you have called us as his people to live in a way that honors you in the situations that you've given us. Lord, for for those of us for whom that is very hard, we pray for special grace and help in our time of need. We pray that you would lead us to the right people to confide in and get help from. And we pray for all of us, our Father God, that we would trust that you are the good God who knows what you are doing in our circumstances, in our situations. And that you, by your Spirit, can enable us to be godly in them. And we pray that you would help us to do so. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm going to invite the musicians up, please.